Our Father, there are so many things in this world about which we get excited, so many attractions that draw our attention from the things that really matter. Sometimes, Lord, we just get too busy. And we ask your forgiveness for those moments we forget you, for those occasions when we do what you would not want us to do. And we ask that today, by your Spirit, you speak to our hearts and draw our focus back to you. Help us in these remaining moments of family worship to forget everything in this world but you, our God and King and Lord. Help us to hear your voice as you speak and to feel your touch as you move within us. And we pray, God, that you would bring healing to many lives this morning, that you would bring healing to broken relationships, that you would begin the work of restoring marriages that are struggling, and that you would bring revival and renewal to your children who are not walking in faithfulness to you. Oh, God, bring honor to yourself as you work among us, for you are an awesome and incredible God, worthy of our worship and life devotion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. And I want to invite you to be opening your Bible, please, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. And while you're doing that, I'm going to invite Kim Baskins to come to the pulpit, and she's going to uh, share part of her story, her journey with you this morning. And I want you to listen and pray that God uses it to speak to your heart. Would you welcome Kim as she comes right now? Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my story and what God has done and is continuing to do in my life. I was raised by a single mom with four girls, and my father left our home when I was two years old. Our life was not easy, and my mom worked very hard to provide for us. Her schedule meant that going to church was not always possible. My grandfather was a minister, and I would spend the summers with him. When I was eight years old, I gave my life to Jesus. But when I got back home, my relationship with Christ didn't grow much. I became a rebellious teenager and looked for love in all the wrong places. Then, when I was 19, I became pregnant. I felt desperate and alone. But my mom and stepdad were great. They loved me and my daughter. It was then that I started attending church with them. That's when I realized that Jesus' love was exactly what I had been looking for my whole life. I finally gave him control and surrendered my life to him. God became the father that I had been looking for my whole life. About three years later, God God brought a man into my life who would become my husband. Trey and I have been married for ten years now. He has showed me what true love was and took my daughter under his wings. God has blessed us with two more children, and we love being a part of First Baptist Church. Um, When the pastor challenged us to write our stories, I wrote mine. Afterward, I felt the Lord leading me to share my testimony on Facebook. That is something unexpected happened, but amazing. I had not spoken to my father in quite a while, and a lot of hurt was still deep inside of me. He had not been there for me, and still to this day is not. 
There was a time when I had my wedding and he, was, he did not attend. I was still so deeply hurt by that. But last week, my dad called me. He had seen my story on Facebook and it upset him. He called crying and telling me how sorry he was. We were able to talk and I learned things about him that I did not know. For the first time in my life, I was able to forgive him. All of a sudden, I started to feel God healing me on the inside. I was able to release the hurt and the pain that I had been carrying all these years. And I found freedom in forgiving him. I don't know what the future holds with my dad. But I do know that I'm praying that my dad will come to experience the same love that I have found in Jesus. I'm thankful for the series in our church on sharing our story. God has used it to bring healing and freedom from unforgiveness in my heart. Amen. Thank you, Kim. And the truth is, God has a way of surprising us when we open our hearts and lives to him and don't keep it to ourselves, just share our story. You never know what God's going to do. And, and um, today we're going to talk about one of the hardest things we will ever do as followers of Christ. And as you know, we're, we're in this series. And what does it really mean? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And we're learning lessons from the, the life of the, the Ten Boom family that lived in Holland during World War II and before. And I want you to look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 about following him. Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 31. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read together, please? <clears throat> Luke chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus said we're to do this as his followers. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Thank you, and you can be seated. See, Jesus did not, does not ask us as his followers to just automatically do what comes natural to us as human beings. He doesn't ask us to do what most people in our culture might do in a different circumstance. He asks us to do things that sometimes are different and often are more difficult than what the average person would choose to do. And one of the things Jesus says we're supposed to do is to love people who've hurt us. Love people who are what he calls here our enemies, those who are not like us or don't agree with us or may have done something to us. And as I said, I believe that is one of the most difficult things we as followers of Jesus Christ ever are faced with. Because we know Jesus says we're to love and we're to forgive. But when someone has wounded you deeply, that's not an easy thing to do. It's very, very difficult. But remember, following Jesus means I am becoming increasingly like him. When I'm first saved, I don't become immediately just like Jesus. In fact, I'm not going to be redeemed from this sinful body and be completed until the resurrection day in heaven. But from the moment I'm saved until the moment I see Jesus face to face, I am to be growing, changing, and becoming more Christ-like. And learning to love people and forgive people who have wounded us is Christ-like behavior. 
Notice in your notes what Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, and it's on the screens. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's a natural reaction. That's what he's talking about in Luke 6. Those who are good to you, it's easy, it's natural to be good to them. Those who love you, it's easy, it's natural to love them back. Anybody can do that. But he says, as my followers, I'm asking you to do something more than that. I say to you, love your enemies. There's nothing natural about that. There's nothing easy about that. In verse 45 in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, so that, here's why. Now, there are a lot of benefits from doing this, but he said, this is one of the key ones. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. He said, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons I'm asking you to do this is so that you will be more like me. He continues, for your father, what does he do? Causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. Sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus blesses, God blesses those who are good and at times those who are bad. And he says, when you learn to love people, who might be classified as enemies, you're acting more like your heavenly father than you are when you simply do what comes natural to us as sinful humans, when you do what seems natural to most people, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. They did me, I'm going to do them. Jesus said, if you want to be more like your father, then you've got to do something that is different. Now, that's hard. We've said that multiple times. It's hard. But as as children of God... We choose to move in that direction. I mean, most of you in this room have had that moment when you realized you were more like your mom or your dad than you ever wanted to be, right? Because you grew up saying, I like that and I don't like that. And all of us have said, I'm not going to be that way when I grow up. And there are some things we change. But the truth is there are some things we're just like the people who raised us because parents rub off on kids automatically, right? Well, the more you hang out with Jesus, the more you walk with him, the more intimately you follow him, he's going to rub off on you. You're going to become more like him, more Christ-like in how you approach life and deal with things. That's part of what it means to be a son of God, a daughter of God, a child of God, a follower of God of Jesus Christ. So here's what I want to do for a few moments. I want to share with us some practical ways we can love our enemies, practical ways we can demonstrate love to those who, who may have wounded us in the past, just practical steps. And the first one's real simple but really important. It's foundation. Pray for them. We need to pray for them. Look in Luke chapter 6 at what Jesus said in this same chapter, verse 27. He said, but I say to you who hear. Now, those of you who are going to listen to me, Jesus says, and if you don't want to listen to him, okay, but if you really want to listen to me, hear this. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. See, I believe praying for those who have wounded us is the starting point. Prayer does many things. Prayer changes us. Think about it. When you pray, you change your heart, your attitudes, your thoughts, your decisions, your behaviors. It is impossible to have an intimate, growing, effective prayer life and stay the way you are. 
When you spend time in the presence of holy God, it does something to you. It changes who you are on the inside, which then results in a difference on the outside. So one of the reasons to pray is it's the starting point for me changing. Another reason is that prayer changes others. Because when I pray for someone, when you pray for someone, God begins working in their life. Now, he does not take away their free will. They still have to respond, but God convicts. God creates circumstances. God is always at work in their lives to bring about transformation. Prayer changes the outcomes. It changes results. Because God, who do you think orchestrated the story you just heard a moment ago from Kim? God, she said, impressed her to put her story on Facebook. She felt led of the Spirit to do that. Her estranged father saw it. Can you not see the hand of God in orchestrating that? When we pray, God does unexpected things that are for good. And so prayer is foundational. When... uh, Germany, at the beginning of World War II, attacked Holland. It was a surprise attack in the middle of the night. The sky lit up with the bombs. And in her book, The Hiding Place, Corey Tim Boom describes there in Harlem where they live, the beds in their house literally shaking. And the, the light coming through the windows. And in the middle of the night, she and her sister, Betsy, went to the second floor main living room looking out those two windows. That's an inside view of it on the screen. And after the shock, they got on their knees beside the piano bench and prayed. They prayed for their country and leaders. They prayed for those who were dying and being wounded, both soldiers and citizens. They, they, They prayed for their own family. And then Betsy prayed for the German pilots in the sky above who as she described it were called in the fist of the giant evil controlling Germany and when Betsy was praying for those German pilots Corey's prayer was Lord listen to Betsy not me (laughs) she said I can't pray for any of them right now (laughs) see it's, it's not natural to pray for people who are dropping bombs on you unless you're praying for them to crash but Jesus calls us to view things a little differently and it's not natural you see it's supernatural God is not always like us he calls us to be like him and it's a choice we make by allowing the word of God to so permeate our being that it shapes who we are and our response to the varying circumstances of life as it moves forward through the years. When Corey and Betsy, those two sisters, were in the concentration camp in Vut, they learned the name of the man who had betrayed their family to the Gestapo when they were arrested. He had come to their home early on the day of their arrest pretending to need help, and they helped him. And he betrayed them. And for days after learning his name, Corey describes that the anger that just consumed her there in the concentration camp as she reflected on all the suffering they had endured, the death of her father. And she couldn't sleep. She made herself sick. And in her mind, she wanted to kill him. I think any of us can understand that. 
And she was so upset, so angry that she told everyone who would listen his name and what he had done. She wanted to make his name mud, if you would, for anybody from her native country because he was one of them. He was a, he was a fellow Hollander who had betrayed them, a Dutch citizen. And about a week later, she was trying to sleep in those bunks designed for one that they put three, four, and five women. And she was tossing, couldn't sleep. And she asked her sister, she said, Betsy, don't you feel anything about Ian Vogel? Doesn't it bother you? And Betsy said, oh, yes, terribly. I felt for him ever since I knew. Now listen to this. And she said, I pray for him whenever his name comes into my mind. How dreadfully he must be suffering. And Corey lay there for a while, struggling with her inability to forgive him. And she prayed, Lord Jesus, I forgive young Vogel, as I pray you will forgive me. And I've done him great damage. Bless him now and his family. And then she said this. She said, for the first time in the week since I learned his name, I was able to sleep. See, sometimes what comes naturally to us as sinful human beings actually damages us more than the other person. Praying is something that God can use to make a difference on many levels in many lives when we have been wounded. So praying for people. And not just for God to get them. (laughs) Her prayer was for God to bless him. Here's a second practical thing we can do. One is to pray. The other is we can serve them. We can be good to them. We don't have to be mean. Look at those verses again, verses 27 and 28. Jesus said, I say to you who hear, those of you who are wanting to listen, love your enemies, do good. Do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you. So not just praying for them and not just being neutral and doing nothing, but here Jesus says, do something practical that is good. And bless them. Doing good is doing something positive, something kind. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 12, fleshes that out even more when he says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Our natural reaction is vengeance, right? You did, I'm going to do. Notice he said in verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, do what? Don't ignore him. Feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, do what? Don't ignore him. Give him something to drink. It's what Jesus is talking about when he says, do good. Find practical ways to show love so that it's more than simply a a Christian quote-unquote sentiment, but it's a reality. And when Jesus said bless them, it means to speak well of them. Speak well to them, speak well about them instead of constantly running them down. And if you can't think of anything good to say, be quiet. There will be a lot of Sunday school classes 
and a lot of churches that would be a lot healthier if the people who say we are following Jesus would learn to practice the one thing Jesus said right there about blessing those who hurt us instead of running them down with our words. There would be a lot of families and marriages that would be stronger and happier if husbands and wives and parents and children and brothers and sisters could learn how to talk to each other and about each other the way Jesus said we're supposed to do it as his followers. Because behavior changes reality for good or bad. And if the only way we behave is in conjunction with how we feel, more often than not, our behavior will be hurtful. Followers of Christ choose to do what is right when their emotions want to do what is wrong. Because it's not only my heart that is given to Jesus, it is my will, the place I make choices. It is my decision mechanism as a human being that has also surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When Corey prayed for the man who had betrayed her family and said, Lord, forgive me because I've done him great damage, do you know what she was referring to? to the fact that during their time in the concentration camp, she had run him down to everybody she could. Jesus said, every idle word men speak, they will give an account of it on the judgment day. Look at what Jesus said in Luke 6, verses 35 and 36. But love your enemies. Do good. And lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. You'll be like the Father. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Ungrateful and evil men. Verse 36. Be merciful then just as your Father is merciful. It's about being Christ-like. Serve them. Be good to them. When uh, Corey and Betsy ended up in Ravensbrook, which was the last concentration camp they were in where Betsy actually died, toward the end they started talking about what they would do to minister to people when they were released. And Betsy in particular had a vision they discussed, feeling that God wanted them to open a home after the war to care for those who have been damaged by the war and in particular damaged by the concentration camps. And so after Betsy died and Corey was released and the war ended, she met a very wealthy, aristocratic woman who was now a widow. And that woman felt led to allow Corey to use her 56-room home as the first home for those who had been wounded during the war and Hundreds of prisoners, people who had been in concentration camps, Jews who had been in hiding for one year, two years, three years, four years, in attics and closets, came and spent time there so they could be healed emotionally. 
She took this home they had lived in, the home in which they had been arrested by the Gestapo, and turned it into a residence for fellow Dutch citizens who during the war had been socialist and cooperated with the Nazis and after the war had to walk with their heads shaved, ridiculed and despised by every other Dutch as traitors. Kicked out of their homes, couldn't find jobs, and she opened her home to others in Holland who betrayed their fellow Dutch citizens. In 1946, she returned to Germany, and the long and short of it is she spent some time sleeping in an abandoned factory with displaced and homeless Germans because the Allies, as you know, bombed Germany into the ground. Cities destroyed. Nine million Germans lost their homes. They were homeless. And through cooperation with others, she took an old concentration camp, upfitted it, and that's where, until 1960, homeless Germans lived. Do you think she understood what Jesus meant when he said, do good to those who hurt you and bless those who curse you? It's not natural. It's definitely not easy. But it's Christ-like. Another practical thing we can do to show God's love is to, is to choose to look at people through the eyes of God, to see them the way God sees them. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says, God demonstrated his love toward us. And notice the pronoun is not them. God demonstrated his love toward whom? Who, church? Are you in that us? Toward us. How did he do it? In that while we were yet sinners, while we were still his enemies, he says in that chapter. Think about that. Later in that same chapter, we were enemies of God. We're the us. We're the enemies of God because of our choices in the face of God to sin against him. But God says, I choose to look at you with love and to sacrifice my son as a demonstration of my love for you. Choosing to look at people the way God does. Do do you remember what Jesus did on the cross? The soldiers who had driven the the nails through his wrists and feet, gambling over his clothing at the base of the cross? He prayed. What did he pray? Father, forgive them for they... Do you understand that sin makes all of us idiots? Sin blinds all of us. Sin makes all of us vengeful. Sin can damage all of us in ways that sometimes surprise us.
when the movie The Hiding Place came out in 1975, they had a premiere in Los Angeles. And as ever, everyone was gathering, including Corey Ten Boom, someone threw a canister of tear gas into the theater. It had to be evacuated, and they couldn't show the movie that night. Later that evening at a reception, Corey was asked how she felt about what had happened. And she said she was disappointed for the people who had planned to see the movie that were not able. But what really made her sad was that on the canister was a Nazi swastika. And then she said this. What we have to do, now remember she's speaking in her broken Dutch accent. What we have to do is love these people who hate us. Love them, pray for them. These people are wounded people who have hate in their hearts. They need forgiveness. They need the Lord. That is the answer we must give. Aren't you glad that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, that is how he saw you? Here's the final practical thing we can do, and this is the hardest. Forgive them. Absolutely the hardest. But if you'll do the first three, the fourth one will be easier if you will begin praying for them and doing good to them, talking good about them or being quiet at a minimum and seeing them through the eyes of God, then you, you might find you're able to forgive them. Look at what Jesus said in Luke 6, verse 37. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. Or most translations use the word forgive. Pardon, forgive and you will be pardoned. You will be forgiven. Forgiveness. When Corey and Betsy were being processed upon their arrival at Ravensbrück concentration camp, there was a room in which all these female prisoners had to strip naked and all their clothes were in a pile. Walking by these glaring, laughing, abusive Nazi guards. And at the entrance to the shower was one guard who was especially cruel during their time at Ravensbrook. After the war, Corey was speaking at a church in Germany. And she noticed a man in the back of the room she recognized. And after the service, that man approached her. It was that guard. She remembered him. He did not remember her. He walked up and stuck out his hand to shake hers and said, You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. But since that time, I've become a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, 
will you forgive me? And in her talk that night, Corey had described God's forgiveness like this. She'd used an analogy saying, it's like God takes all of our sin and all of the wrong we've done and he throws it into the deepest part of the ocean. And then he places a sign there that says, no fishing allowed. Now she's standing face to face with this cruel guard his hand outstretched as hers is frozen by her side. And all the memories came flooding back. And all the hurt and all the anger. She said, I felt absolutely no love. There was no warmth toward this man at all, not even a spark. She just stood there with her hand at her side. As this man stood with his outstretched waiting for her to forgive him. And she prayed silently, Lord Jesus, help me. She knew forgiveness was not necessarily an emotion. It was a choice. An act of the will. And quickly she prayed to to the Lord, Lord I can lift my hand. I can do that much. But you're going to have to supply the feeling, give me your forgiveness. And in an act of the will, she raised her hand, took his to shake it. And she said when she did, it was though a flood of electricity flowed through her body and there was a warmth that healed her soul. And through her tears... Through her tears, she said, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. Now, genuinely loving those who wound us is not easy. And forgiving them may be the hardest thing we ever do. But I'm certain that for many of us in this room, there's already someone on our mind that God is asking us to be kind to. God is asking us to stop speaking ill about. God is asking us to pray for. God is asking us to forgive. Because yes, it is about them, but it is equally about you because until you do what Christ says we are to do as his followers it still on some level enslaves you controls you masters you shapes you who is that name what is that deed God is asking you to perform And let me close with this. What about your marriage? Do you know that according to recent research, people going to church who divorce typically are just as active as people going to church who don't divorce? Now catch that. People who come to church somewhat regularly 
and divorce come pretty much as much as those who come to church regularly and do not divorce, just as active. You see, here's the thing. Listen to, listen to, please, I beg you, listen to me. It's not you coming to church that saves you your marriage or makes you have a great marriage. If it did, most of the people who come to church that divorce would never divorce. It is us practicing at home what Jesus actually says, what we learn at church, and putting it into practice that makes a great marriage. And and how many relationships are ruined because of those small wounds? He said, she said, he did, she did, that we harbor and stack one on top of the other until the relationship is one of animosity and coldness. Learn to pray for your spouse. To do good. The little kindnesses every single day are the foundation of a great marriage. Do good to one another. Bless one another with your words. If your mouth is sarcastic, stop it. If you're critical and putting down, stop it. You'll kill your marriage. Bless. Bless. Speak well of. See your spouse the way God does and see your spouse the way you did when you first fell in love with him or her. Make yourself go back to that place and forgive the little things before they become big things. And what did Jesus say? If you are willing to hear, then hear and do this and you'll be blessed. But if you're going to be stubborn and not listen, don't blame anybody but yourself when your life goes the way you don't want it to go. That's an extra free sermon today I hadn't planned to preach. But I am heart sick at people who go to church and their marriages fall apart. I'm heartbroken over it because they don't put into practice at home what Jesus says in his word. They think just being in church together is all they need. And it doesn't work. A word to the wise. All right, let's stand. Father, as we sing this hymn of invitation, speak to our hearts and draw us and help us have the boldness and courage to respond to what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing. You're invited to kneel at this altar. You already know what you need to pray about. It's that thing that's on your heart. Some of you as couples need to come and pray together and ask God to forgive you for how you've been treating each other. Ask God to help you treat each other better. There are people who need to join this church or commit their lives to Jesus Christ. Pastors and counselors here at the front, you come right now and make your decision for the Lord. Let's sing together. You come.